Lots of hustling around. I got a lot going on here. A lot of tabs. You Are do. You? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Dubai Friday night, so there's a lot of running around. Mm-hmm. My yeah, co- I like my, the ones where you prepare. My, well, I try. My co-hosts are, uh, their lives are so chaotic, which makes my it's life Dubai, chaotic. Hey, wait, it's Dubai Friday night? No, what, it's, do you, do, we named. I understand, but, but it's, what I'm getting at is, is, the, is tonight the night when you record Dubai Friday? Oh, tonight is the night we post Dubai Friday, and I, oh. my responsibility is to write up I have to listen to the podcast and say if there's anything terrible to cut out. And I have to do the notes for... <laughs> See if there's anything terrible to cut out. This, uh-huh. It sounds like a straightforward thing, but given the show, I'm wondering how that process actually works. Well, this week you'll be treated to a conversation on how we decide uh, if we were a Brazilian soccer team trapped on a mountain, how we decide which one of us we should eat first. Mm-hmm. I think you've had that same conversation before, haven't you? That's a good conversation. Max probably already has a card game about it. I don't know. I have to write the uh, after show notes, and we had lots of podcast recommendations this week, so I uh, have collated all of those. It takes more time than people think, John. That's all I'm saying. All right, so it's posting. It's not recording. Got it. Okay. No, we're recording at a, at a different time than usual. Today. Yes, you had a special event to go to. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll get to that. Mm, we will. Looks like you cleaned up the document a little bit. That's good. Let's go look here. Um. All right. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a question for you. You guys talked about um, iCloud uh, family, iCloud family stuff on mm-hmm. ATP, and you were uh, talking about how great it is. There's so much stuff you can do straight out of the box. It makes it easy to approve kids' purchases. You're automatically all following each other on Find My Friends. And I, I have a tech support question because I'm I've been trying. My daughter and I are on it, but my wife has made many purchases on her own for apps and subscriptions, and she would like to continue to be independent in that way. Do you think, does that obviate adding her? Is there a way to add her to iCloud family without subsuming her maiden name? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't have any effect. The, the, the adults in the family continue, everybody in the family uses their own Apple ID to make purchases. That's not, that isn't affected by the family business. Hmm. So I should do that. I, I wouldn't have any ramifications. No, like hmm. the, the only thing it changes is that when the non-adults in the family go to purchase something, you can have a setting that le- makes you have to approve it. But they're I still that, purchasing yeah. it on their Apple ID. Okay. All right. And they're, they're using your payment method. There's a, you know, they, because the kids can't have credit cards or whatever. But everyone still makes purchases through their own Apple ID. I like that they changed that, that you can um, do it with your face now. It's a big improvement. Yeah. Or your finger sometimes. The Mac, the Mac version with the, the laptops with Touch ID. Oh, yeah? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, some percentage of the time, the authentication prompts let you use your finger. There's even, like, there's a, there's a little uh, config change that Cable Sasser uh, posted a while back where you can change, like, uh, even the command line tools to use your finger. Oh, wow. That's this so magic. Like, you know, type sudo or SSH into something, and instead of it prompting you for a password, it just prompts you to put your finger on. It's pretty neat. So you could just make that, like, a bash script or something? No, no, it's just it's a feature of the so, you know SSH or whatever like this, the auth system or you know I think it's Pam maybe um the auth system has some like order of operations like what should I try to do to authenticate you and the default is to prompt you for the password as the number one thing if you're doing stuff from the command line but you can insert the touch ID thing and it throws up like an actual GUI dialog and yeah. ask you to authenticate that way first. That's cool. It's kind of neat. I was just about to um, pay a couple compliments to Apple the company, but first I want to I want to bitch about something. Do you get prompted a lot to re-log in, like if you want to go get a free app or a pay app or whatever on iTunes on the or App Store and iTunes? Do you still get prompted a lot for logins on 
the Mac? I feel like I do. For per- for doing what? For purchasing Mac well, apps? This, is, Mac this app might store? be symptomatic of how seldom I get a new app or buy something on iTunes uh, from the Mac. If I'm buying a movie, I'm usually buying it on the Apple TV, and that works great. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm buying it on my phone or iPad, I use Touch ID or Face ID, and that works pretty great. Still don't love that double button push. But um, but no, but on the, I mean, this could just be that I'm not logging in often enough, but I feel like it's always prompting me for my password when, I'm, when I yeah, want to do anything. I haven't made a purchase on my Mac and iTunes for a while now, but I, yeah, I think it always prompts me too. I have it set to always prompt, like even on the iOS devices where it's like, should I leave you logged in or should I not prompt you for free purchases? I just have it set to always prompt just to prevent myself from fat fingering, even free stuff. I don't want cluttering up my purchases yeah. or whatever. So. Yeah, makes sense. I just I just have it always prompt, but yeah, I think the last time I I was like uh, I have Apple Music now, which I always forget that I have because I have the HomePod thing. Oh yeah, and I, I was wandering through like other people's playlists to try to discover new music, and as I discover it, because I'm an old man, I purchase all the songs that I like, <laughs> yeah, rather than just rather than just adding them to my library, but knowing that if I ever stop paying for it's like, iCloud, it's like, printing, it's like printing out your email. It's not though, because it's like I, I under, you know, I don't want Apple Music. The only reason I have it is because it makes without it, the HomePod becomes even more worthless. Um, so someday I would like to aspirationally stop paying for Apple Music, and when that happens, I still want to have all the songs that I'm discovering through Apple Music. So it's you know, it's a dollar, dollar twenty nine, or whatever it is a song. I just just buy them. It's not like I'm discovering that many. So yeah, I just yeah, feel yeah. better. Um, so anyway, when I do that and I click buy, yeah, it prompts me for my password, and you know, I just expect but that it. works as expected. Yeah. I mainly use my HomePod for streaming from an iOS device because that's pretty much all it does really well. Yeah, this is like a, a, fan, a the world's most expensive AirPlay speaker. It is. I mean, absolutely, and it does it does sound good. But like, mm-hmm. if I'm in uh, hanging out in the bedroom where ours is, I'll I'll stream it from the Mac or an iOS device. But most frequently, honestly, it's Spotify because there's no Spotify on there. Spotify right. or Overcast is like pretty much what I'm sending there. Overcast, mm, high fidelity podcast happening there. It sounds, it sounds good. It does. It sounds real good. Get, um, get that Dickerson going. We get the bass. <laughs> get that full compression on there. Well, see now, I now I don't feel like I should compliment Apple. I was just going to say that there, there, I do feel like there are some things that it's worth just quickly revisiting to say this used to be not good to very bad. And it's now pretty strong. I know you had a problem with your contacts recently, but you know, honestly, um, stuff like the iCloud drive has been, I don't, again, which I don't use a lot, uh, has been pretty solid. The, um, the various kinds of, uh, of sinky stuff has really seemed to have gotten better. Like I have pretty good luck with a lot of cloud ish servicey things, mostly on Apple these days. Yeah. The trend line is, in the right direction, but I still, there's these, these regressions still happen. And they still frustrate me, especially with contacts because it's such a, you know, such a, a standard bearer for problems with sync, just because it was the, the type of thing that the data volume was small enough that it's like the first thing we tried to sync back in like, you know, the Palm OS days or whatever mm-hmm. the hell we first had devices that we needed to sync things across and for it still to not be working 100% of the time in 2018, really. Makes me sad, but in general, the trend is in the right direction. Yeah, like I'm ter- I'm terrified of my photos ever having anything bad happen. But you know, knock wood, uh, the iCloud photo library stuff has just mostly worked for me, plus or minus uh, a couple of instances where I had to wait around. Yeah, and uh, on the photo stuff, like you, I've got several layers of backup, but also I think like you, and I think like Casey at least, I also do Amazon Prime Photos and Google Photos. 
And it's it it ends up being kind of cool. It's neat because I can periodically I use, I mean I'm using the Photos app from Apple pretty pretty often to go just look at photos and send photos and stuff like that. But I actually look at Google Photos pretty often on my phone because it it off the um, assistant uh, offers up cool stuff like it's nice little like you know this day five years ago and stuff like that. I think it's good at that. The Prime Photos is pretty good at images and or at like face recognition. And I, I just did my first set of uh, getting prints because now Amazon prime is like Amazon prime photos is like integrated kind of in a wonky way, but integrated with Amazon, like the site. So you can go and through like Fujitsu, you basically order prints for 15 cents a piece. And that's kind of fun, fun to have around. I just, uh, I just tried it and I think I'll do it again. That worked pretty well, but having it in all those places is not only nice security. There are also nice features to each one of those that, you know, the other ones don't necessarily have. Yeah, although I'm getting like in my backup paranoia, it's and, like I have Google Photos too, and I occasionally look at it. But I realize that one thing I'm not—well, I guess I am backing it up. But like, so iCloud Photo Library, you know, photos on my Mac—that's like my main photo library. And you know, of course, my Mac is backed up with Time Machine and backed up with Synology. It's actually backed up two different places in Time Machine, and I have a super duper like it's—it's it's backed up, but. Mm-hmm. Google Photos has no knowledge of anything that I do in photos in terms of metadata. So the main thing that I care about at this point now that Apple has got rid of the star rating system is uh, the little hearts, my favorites, right? Because mm-hmm. I have over 100,000 photos now. Uh, but, you know, less than 1% of those are my favorites. Google has no idea what those are. Mm-hmm. Has no notion whatsoever of what my favorites are. And I always wa- worry, like, oh, if, if all my iCloud photo library, like, auto erases itself and somehow gets corrupted on all the backups, I think at least I'll have Google Photos. But it's like, if you just had Google Photos, I would be sad because I would be like, oh, how am I, you know, spent, you know, 15 years of my life favoriting photos? Hmm. I don't, it doesn't know which ones I favorite. And also, it's, it's losing all my adjustments and everything like that. Because I think it gets like the cropped and adjusted version. I think that's what get uploaded, but like there's point is there's a bunch of a bunch of work I've put into the metadata related aspects of my photo library that are not reflected in Google Photos. So yeah. thinking of Google Photos as a backup of my photo library is a lie. Like it's a backup of the raw data of the photos, maybe, but it is not a backup of tons and tons of my labor that I've done. So sometimes I get a little paranoid about that. I kind of wish there was a way that Google Photos could slurp from the photo library with an understanding of the photo library instead of just mm-hmm. saying, I don't know, I'm just wandering a bunch of directories looking for JPEGs, man. Yeah, because it looks like it doesn't have a sense of Apple's albums either. The albums that I've got. No, are- it has no idea. Like it literally just sees it as a file system and it has an algorithm to basically reject the like face tile images that are like these tiny little thumbnails. Like it knows when an image is too small, but it, it doesn't understand my RAWs at all. It uploads them and backs them up, but it, it tells me repeatedly, oh, I found 3,000 images I don't know what to do with. I backed them up, and they're in your Google Drive, but Google Photos can't make heads or tail of them. So the RAWs are completely out. And then for everything else, I see it like sorting through, and it just it's just finding the JPEGs from that are inside there and, and putting them up. Mm, that's no good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll try that. Yeah, because um, did you before Apple canned the book thing? Did you get any books? No, I never did that. I, I loved hearing your adventures with that, but no, I never, I never did that. I probably should have. But it, it's fun to have prints. This the, I'll tell you where this the genesis of this was that on a lark uh, when we went to Yosemite uh, a few months ago, just for fun, my wife picked up a quote unquote disposable camera for Ellie, and uh, she shot some photos with it, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
so it sat around for a while. We hadn't finished the roll. And then one night we just took pictures of plants and cats and stuff. And like, okay, finish the roll. Dad will drop it off. And it was to, to cut a long story short, I go to Walgreens, as you know, and I'm like, Hey, um, I uh, want to get these developed. I, uh, what's the procedure? What do I do? And, and they were very confused, which seems strange. Go walk into the ocean. They, 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 it seemed like, like I had asked them for like a set of barbells or something. They seemed like it wasn't a request that they got a lot. And one guy had to get another guy. That guy takes out some kind of like a multi-tool that he has like on his belt. He cracks open the case of the little cardboard camera and, and the, (laughs) the film kind of starts flipping around and he's like, ah, 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 ah. But I, 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 Wait, I, there's actual film in it? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a basically like a roll of what looks like what I would think of as 110 film inside of this cardboard housing. I, I can't believe those disposable cameras aren't just like the world's cheapest sensor and a tiny little memory card. You know what's weird? I have to tell you, I was that's exactly what my thought was. After I saw the film start flipping around and he's frantically trying to fix it, that was my thought too, was that like, I guess it would cost a little bit more, but like that... Would, I don't know if it would, considering how much like, you know, how much does, at a certain point film starts to be very expensive just because no one makes it anymore well it has to be processed with a mm-hmm. with a usb key they could just they could have like a i mean they could have like a five dollar mechanism in their office that hooks up with their network that could take care of all of that well they, they have photo print don't you have photo printers in like your walgreens like oh, right yeah, there in the got store? Like a whole like little kiosk in there mm-hmm. but anyhow yeah, so you just so, come and take your disposable camera and like just jam it into some hole and then you know, get that would that it. would make the most sense. But he, but so this guy really fumbled with it. And I was like, oh God, we're going to be so screwed. It had been a while since we'd taken the photos, and I know you know film doesn't always age very well. It'd been a couple months, and uh, anyhow, we got the photos back like a week later. It was like five, at least like five days later, and the pictures were so bad. They were really, really terrible. Like, I mean, I was prepared for them to be not so good, but but th- th- there was a tire swing outside the cabin that she loved and would spend like the whole day on. And we were like, Oh gosh, I really hope somehow, cause I didn't have one. Madeline didn't have one. I was like, Oh my God, how do we not take a picture of the tire swing? But as it turned out, we did have one photo. She took a, I'll send a photo to you. She took a selfie of herself on <laughs> was the, the tire swing moving at the, during this time. No, no, she was very still. She's, she's a very mm. relaxed child, but no, seriously, they were, there was, they were such garbage. Let me see if I can send this. Okay, to you. Cardboard is usually uh, not a good indicator of camera quality. Yeah, no, I agree. The body is made of cardboard. Um, is that fun there? There you go. But that was, this is far and away, that is far and away the single best photo in every way. Most of them were just like green static. So I think maybe the dude taking it out might have had some effect on it. But no, that that's, guy, the, that's, that's just the, overexposed. It's a problem there. Well, I mean, I think the sensor on a cardboard camera is not going to be yeah. super good. That's a pretty good. Well, photo, it's not, if it's film, it's not a sensor. Like it's actual film. It's just oh, it's right. just terrible lens, and it's overexposed because the shutter probably just is fixed. You know, yeah, but it's like I've seen. Speed. I've seen. You know, the the it became. I think it was a kind of a fun idea. Like when you go to a wedding reception, and there's a couple mm-hmm. of those on. You get the, some great photos out in the of there. 80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like those intercoms. I can't believe you guys are treating that. That was, was totally a '70s phenomenon. It was those were like those were those those intercoms got popular in the '70s. This is from another show. Yeah. So but they were definitely a sign of being no, we, super well, we rich. We got them in the 80s, and the ones in this house are definitely 80s. You can tell from the 80s vibe that just you know radiates from everything in this house. It was such a signification of wealth to have that in mm-hmm. your house. 
And like I said, the, the Radio Shack ones were for like the maybe the nouveau riche or the not quite rich. Yeah, the aftermarket. It's not rich. the same as having yeah. a building. Yeah, just go to Radio Shack and spend you know thirty bucks for each of the things and plug them in and have the un- unsightly cord dangling down to some outlet. But then at least you can. You you, know, you didn't make this reference, so I don't know if I'm right. But the way you described it, I immediately thought of the speakerphone in Charlie's Angels. Is it kind of like that? The realistic Radio Shack ones? No, yeah. they were they were much more eighties looking than that. They were first of all, they weren't that big, and second of all, they didn't sound that good. <laughs> okay, I wish I could find a picture of it. I could I could picture it right now. It was interesting because it had a, a one of those things where there was a, a mechanical uh, solution to what would be solved with you know uh, electronics these days, where there was a button that you could hold down and talk, but. If you if you were going to talk for a long period of time, you didn't want to have to stand there holding down the button. You needed a way to sort of make the button lock down. So inside the button, there was like a hole in the button, hmm. like a it was like a big long paddle type button. Inside the button was a little cutout, and through that button was a different color piece of plastic that poked up. And if you press down on there, press down both of them, kind of like not the same as the play and record button on no, a but thing, a sim- but just, similar thing, like a lock. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was how <laughs> wow. they accomplished this in saying like if you if you wanted to stay down, press in this area, and it will press these two pieces of plastic down, and a mechanism will lock them. But if you just want to press one, it was it was like that was the level of technology we were at. That's such caveman stuff. Uh, yeah, I tried walkie-talkie exactly twice, and I thought it was very upsetting. I do not ever want to use it. I tried it. I tried oh, it with my yeah. co-hosts on Dubai Friday, and um, mm-hmm. we all thought it was very upsetting. Well, you have a walkie-talkie on the Apple Watch. On the Apple Watch, yeah. I bought very, very expensive for me for a kid at the time uh, Radio Shack headset walkie-talkie things when I was a kid. Oh my gosh! It was like a little little pager type thing that you'd clip on your belt, and there was a little cord that snaked up to a headset that <sighs> had a microphone that went in front of your mouth. That's so cool. And, could do what yeah it was it was very cool and tremendously expensive and it worked terribly <laughs> that's disappointing the electronics of our youth were pretty spotty i mean i say our youth yeah. i know i'm a lot older than you but like for example like i remember the first time it was after the mr microphone had gotten popular it had been mm-hmm. several years and i think i got one for christmas one year and it was it was such garbage there was all kinds of all so much of the, of the electronics for kids when we were young were just like I mean, some of the video games, like my electronic quarterback was a champ. Like that, that probably still works. Oh yeah, yeah. Those were th- those are surprisingly good because they they knew their limits. Yeah, yeah. These are red dots. You can either have a running pay or play or a passing play, and they're still red dots. And once you're used mm-hmm. to that, it's a lot of fun. It was, and it's the one with like there was only three vertically. There were only three possible positions, and horizontally there were maybe it was like, like deep, five. deep, deep. Yeah, I think you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those were fun though. I had a Mer- I had a Merlin when I was young. One of those. Of course, uh, did. Well, I mean, I'm not. Is that was the Merlin the the red one that looked like a weird phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that. Yeah, because I mean they kind of mastered the Simon like matching games, and Merlin mm-hmm. was one of those. I think it was if memory serves, it was like it was memory games and stuff, but they just mashed a bunch of those into one. Yep, it was cool looking though. It was cool looking hardware, like the little membrane-y round buttons and the red oh, yeah. plastic thing. Yeah, like an Intellivision kind of feeling. You're playing television yeah. baseball. Yep, it was a good game for the time. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> mm. you're kidding me like, what like 1982 you don't think that was a pretty good game uh, uh, the problem with the, the a lot of the home things even the 2600 like you were amazed that you could do anything at home but if you had even seen like real space invaders versus the home oh well one, sure you could tell there was a difference and it was kind of disappointing and but baseball you could, like, it was like positions with the little keypad and say like i want this guy to go get the ball it was so cool yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I always felt sports games were the most ill-served by technical limitations. It's almost like most sports games would be better served being text adventures until the tech caught up to the point where it could, you know, be decent.
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Amazon Prime Video Channels. You can learn more about the channels right now by visiting tryprimechannels.com slash tips. Let me tell you about this. This is a great new service. Prime Video Channels is a perk available to Amazon Prime customers. We all love the super fast shipping, and you can also get great entertainment instantly through Prime Video Channels. Whatever you're into, you can create a TV lineup that you love from over 100 premium and specialty channels. You can get stuff like Showtime, Stars, HBO, CBS All Access, Noggin, and PBS Kids. I'll tell you my favorite I signed up for, uh, BritBox. It's so great. You can get Doctor Who. You can get the British Office, which is the best office. You can get all of that right inside of Amazon Prime Video channels. And you can go right now. You can start a seven-day free trial of any of the channels that you want to try. After you've started a channel subscription, you can watch your movies and shows whenever and wherever you want. You just open the Prime Video app on any of your devices and you look for your channels. They'll be right there. Now, uh, if you haven't tried the service, well, who doesn't love uh, curling up on the sofa and binge-watching Game of Thrones? Sometimes after a long day at work, it's just what you need. And having access to so many more shows means you can really make the most of your downtime. Only pay for the channels you want with Prime Video channels. So you go, you start your free trial of over 100 channels today. You go visit tryprimechannels.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Tryprimechannels.com slash diffs for a free trial of over 100 channels. Our thanks to Prime Video Channels for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Um, well, we can go wherever you want. You talked about my iCloud. What was your What was your challenge? Oh, you were just asking about the purchase. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. Like to, to uh, I was big proponent of getting everything at family, and it's not because it's all smooth sailing because there are some features that are weird with it, but it's because I heavily endorse the idea of Apple in particular, but companies in general, letting you build structures to let them know that there is a relationship between people, particularly your immediate family, because so much of what you try to do with, you know computer and network products benefits from knowing we are a family here are the adults here are the kids i just want to declare that in every way that i can to every product that well, I. Use it's like you said to so, casey like it becomes relevant a lot sooner than you think yeah it's just like i want every service and every piece of software to know about those relationships to make smart decisions and when they don't when i have to pretend the kids are adults or when i have to do some weird thing where it doesn't recognize that I'm married to my wife. And so we are two independent adults, the same as strangers and sharing things <laughs> becomes a pain. I just want to declare it. Right. So in the beginning, that's almost all of Apple's family stuff was, which is you can declare and set up your family. Nothing will use this information, but it's there. And I always held out hope that things will, will start using it. And they do slowly and painfully. And some of use better than others. But I like to encourage everyone, put yourself into a little family, tell all the software that that's the structure of things and then hope that applications and cloud services do something, anything intelligent with that information. And Apple, mm-hmm. with its store purchase stuff, for the most part, does. Like, it lets you see other people's purchases in the family. I was just going to say, it's, it's really not obvious, but if you go into, I want to say, updates, but anyway, you click on your icon and you can see, click like, on here's... your face. That's the non-obvious the face. part. Yeah, yeah exactly. UI. And you can get anybody's purchases right there, which is a lot of times, like... Um, my daughter will want to uh, use the pencil on her iPhone or on her iPad. I'm like, well, here, you know, you should check this out. This app has like, you know, handwriting recognition and stuff. And I'll, you know, it's easy enough to just go get and grab. Yeah, they feel, there's so many things where they really have gotten better. I, I, I don't feel bad for criticizing them at the times they got that wrong. But I do feel bad that they, I feel like they maybe haven't completely gotten their due for the parts of the services stuff that they 
it's not perfect, but it is really ironed out. G- given where they started, I, I, I applaud how far they've come with a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Still so much stuff in, when you talk about family, there's another thing like that. There's still so, it's not super relevant to you, but we're a big internet of things family. And um, there's still so far to go with presence. Right now, so much of presence relies on like, do you have, for example, a hue motion detector? So like a hue motion detector, um, detector can do stuff inside the Hue family. And yes, it does work with HomeKit, but inside HomeKit, like the most useful thing it can do is like throw you a single notification that something happened. It can tell you the temperature. It can tell you the lumens, like the lot, how many lux, not lumens, but lux, how many, how bright is this area? How warm or cool is this area? And when did it move? It doesn't log it anywhere. You, there's no IFTTT. You can't send it anywhere, but like it's, it's strange how like there, it's still, I still would not feel good going for so, too much further into Internet of Things and smart home until that proximity stuff gets better. And that's one thing where the family thing would be great. There's so much stuff where like, I don't know, I mean, everybody in your house would have to have an iPhone or similar and working all the time in order for that proximity stuff to work. And even then, you know, it's kind of imperfect. And there's not really any logic. You can't, there's no logic to being able to say like, well, like if my wife and I aren't home, but my daughter is, yeah, go ahead and still like have the canary camera work and stuff like that. Still a long way to go with all that stuff. Yeah, we, we do that. It just happens to be that the limited uh, Nest options are like that. So we have the, it detects whether you're in the house. And so we have it set up with my phone and my wife's phone. So if either one of us is home, mm-hmm. cameras are off. But if neither of us are home, the cameras are on. So we do see the kids. But the choices is basically like, do you want home and away detection? Yes, no. And if you say yes, which phones do you want to count? And that's it. That is the extent of the configurability. Mm-hmm. And and this is all like all in the family, all like, you know, Nest cameras, the Google Nest application on your phone. Like it's it's such a hodgepodge if you try to just start mixing other stuff. So I've I mostly totally avoided that, although we have a couple of lights in our house that actually are kind of a pain to walk over to and turn on and off. I can imagine voice control for, but we're not there yet, despite the fact that we have voice control cylinders and or pucks in almost like every room in the first floor of the house. They don't do anything useful except for tell us information about movie release dates and uh, ratings. That's mm. the main thing, main thing we well, use you're, it for. You're, still, you're, a Google, you're a Google family, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we have the HomePod, too, but we've got uh, two of the Google things. Um, I was thinking of getting that Google thing with a screen for my daughter because her she uses the voice assistants more I than anybody. One. Pretty much every morning she wants it to tell her what the weather's going to be mm-hmm. so she knows how to get dressed. And I was like, maybe we could put one of those in your room so you could, instead of yelling down the stairwell to the one downstairs, mine, you could just uh, talk mine to Mine just arrived today. I just, I just set that one up at home and brought the old one to work. Um, and it, the one with this, the screen you got? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got the old one and the new one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the new ones, it is pretty, be aware, it's pretty big. It's, it's mm-hmm. got a lot less bazel. Uh, it's like a pretty f- almost full screen-ish thing. But it, it's good. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, got, it got a lot less useful when YouTube cut them off. Although mm-hmm. now there is an oh un- you're talking about the the Amazon one yeah Amazon. oh you're talking about the Google Hub yeah Google has basically the equivalent of the Amazon Show but for that Google. looks really sharp that no you know what for your family that makes so much more sense yes of because course I, because I can show you the weather so she doesn't have to have it spoken to her and you know I mean the kids don't have calendars at this point but I don't know like, I don't know I'm probably not going to buy it but I'm I'm just thinking about how I like the idea it's cheap of, dude it's really cheap. Uh, yeah, of of having a screen. It's cheap, and they're all they all know about each other, and you can all talk to any of them. I'm just trying to keep people from yelling down the stairs. That's just get the, get an intercom system. You're a rich. One guy. of my parenting meta goals. 
Oh, I just, that's never going to end. The, um, the one that you're describing, they talked about it on a uh, download today and I was looking at it while they were talking about it. And it's, it is, it's real. I didn't watch that, um, event, but, uh, it sounds great. It sounds like it, it is really good, especially at, or could be very good at bubbling up your photos, you know, like whatever the most beautiful frame in your house or something like that. Yeah. And Google, I think Google's pretty good at that stuff. I like my Google home. Um, I, it's just that between the sound quality of the home pod and the ubiquity of the echo family, I, I just, I, I kind of forget to use it. Yeah. I, I treat the, the Google stuff as like more as like an Oracle, like the answer of questions, mm-hmm. not really telling it to do things. I'm asking it, you know, knowledge and it, it's you know, good I, I enjoy the, the game is like, can you stump it? Can you ask it something that either it doesn't understand or that it can't answer? Uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's what I do with my cylinders most of the time is challenge them to stump them and phrase things in weird ways and make gigantic compound sentences and see if you can figure it out. It can be stumped, uh, but I'm still pretty, I'm still pretty amazed when it figures out what I want and gives me the exact answer. And that gives me a little techno chill. It's like, Oh, that's cool. Like I'm. Oh, I, to- I totally agree. We try, we try to stump it all the time. What's the, what's the ones we asked recently to find monopsony. Oh, uh, we're trying to get it to speak to us in pig Latin. It just spoke a little pig Latin and went on. It doesn't have, I don't know. It might have a pig Latin skill. I don't know. But, uh, I, I'll, I'll mention this for our listeners. Um, if you are, uh, an echo home family, uh, they, they've, they've made a, this is, this is a little obscure, but it's a huge godsend for our household. So we have many echo devices in all the rooms. And, um, up to now they've had a pretty neat thing called, um, multi, what's it called? Multi-room speakers or something like that, where basically you can go in and say like, okay, can I say from now on when I, you know, if I hail this particular group of speakers, it plays throughout the entire house. So in my case, I get up in the morning, I say play KQED upstairs and it plays it through the whole house. But it used to be, there's probably a computer programmer name for this, but where once a speaker was in a group, it could not be in another group. So that's fine if you've got two and that's all. But if you've got, let's say six, uh, it's kind of annoying. They just introduced a thing where you can have any speakers in any groups, and it's so cool. So the first thing I did today, this is an update in the Alexa software, as far as I know. But now I have one that's called Everywhere that includes my daughter's room, because she hates it when we stream things to her room. Uh, I got another one called Upstairs, which is all the things but my daughter's room. And now I've got one like West speakers, like all the speakers on the west side of the house, like, you know, uh, just play there. And it's pretty great. And it'll place the, and now that you can identify a default music service, it's really easy. So you could just say, you know, play the Beths, uh, ups, you know, uh, on the West speakers. And it does that. It's really nice. Whereas you're able to swing that kind of uh, auditory tyranny where you can dictate the the audio landscape of a place where other people live. I could never pull that off. Like, it's, it's hard enough for me to even be able to play what I want on my headphones while I'm doing dishes without annoying other people. I can't imagine issuing a command and having what I want to, to be playing start resounding throughout even one floor of the house without my entire family descending on me and killing me. No, you, you've got to, you, you must force the children. You must force the children in your case. The, to listen the adults, to, my wife doesn't hear. Your wife hear does not listen to WPUR in the morning? No, we don't. We're, you we guys don't, don't do listen to public radio in the morning? What's wrong with you? No, I did. I went through my public radio phase. Ugh, what do you listen I'm to? I'm off it. I'm off. I'm on, I'm on podcasts. It's all, it's all podcasts now. There's no, nothing I'm your family the, likes to listen to together. Uh, I mean, it, we will occasionally do like, wait, wait, don't tell me in the car. Okay. Like as a family, because that's a, that's like a, that type of thing we yeah. can more or less all agree on and find amusing. But I can imagine doing like, it's kind of like, it's because we're, look, we're trapped in this car together. 
Yeah. Uh, let's let's find something that we can do together. Whereas at home, we're all usually off doing our things. Well, TV shows we can watch together, but no, no, no audio. audio. Kids certainly aren't going to tolerate NPR. You know what you could try? You might try. I'm trying to work in more uh, comedy. So I'm, uh, I've been trying to work in especially stand-up comedy. That's sometimes a fun thing in the morning. So I'm trying to get her into uh, some relatively clean uh, stand-up comics. And that's a fun project. My kids are still like, they wake up. Your family doesn't like, like to laugh. Well, no, they 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 do, but about so the kids they wake up and it's like uh like Neo waking up in the Matrix where he's got the tubes all stuck into him. They wake <laughs> up and their their iPad is basically already attached to them by a tube. Like that, I don't think their feet hit the ground before. Is, is that allowed the, in the, the morning? The earbuds are in the. I let them look at the iPad while they eat their cereal. Like, all right, you know, because the, the, here's the thing about their their schedules the way they are now. They actually on weekdays have precious little time. To, to literally do anything other than feed themselves, get dressed, bathe, go to school, come uh-huh. home, do homework, eat, like, just like that's, and then the amount of slack time they have to do anything before it's their bedtime is very low. So they were all going through YouTube withdrawal. So they want to watch YouTube like in the morning, fine. And if they want to watch it like in the 15 minutes between when they finish their homework and have to go to bed, fine. Yeah. It's right. way less than they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, the weekends, of course, are still binge. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's attached to them. And I have rules about, like, no iPads ever in the kitchen. I Apparently, I wow. have to make the rule of no, no iPads ever in the bathroom because otherwise my daughter will brush her hair and brush her teeth oh. with one hand while holding the... I've already gone through this, the whole zombie movie. Escaping. We had to go to iPad in the bathroom on weekends only because it was making our weeknights a little bit lengthy. Because, you, you, like, imagine trying to do everything with a cord mm-hmm. dangling from your I ears know this to your you iPad, crazy. which you're holding in your hand. If they were and being evacuated they, from does. a plane, they'd, they'd be trying to go down the exactly. slide. They'd be like, they'd go down the slide holding the <laughs> iPad in their hand. Like, just, it's here's the thing. I think it's not just the iPad. It's the cord going to the ears. It's so incredibly unwieldy, and it snags on things, and it makes them have to do everything one-handed. And they're so inefficient even with two hands because they don't know how to do anything, and they're lazy. To have them try to do things with one hand, everything takes so long. And they're then just they, like, and they're they like start... clumsy cyborgs. They're like wandering around, like mm-hmm. catching on doorknobs. And it's like, well, just t- take it out of your ear. Yeah, you what could, are you doing? I should get a, vi- a secret video of them. Like, uh, I'm brushing my teeth, right? But then an interesting part comes on the video and the brushing gets slower and slower <laughs> and slower until you realize your kid is sitting there stationary with holding onto a toothbrush in their mouth with, with, with it dripping out of the corner of the mouth, staring at an iPad. It's like, you're not brushing your teeth anymore. You've stopped. Just... Put the iPad down. I promise you, whatever it is that you can do, and you can do things without the iPad attached to you, but they they can't. It amazes me they get anything done in school. Like it's like, how do you how do you do any work at school if you don't have an iPad attached to you? Like they they try to do it when they're doing homework. They're like ear, you know, iPad yeah. on the bed playing video, headphone cord snaking up to their ears while they do homework. I'm like, you can't do homework that involves like reading. While watching and listening to video, it's not humanly yeah, possible. We we're we're very not strict about this stuff mostly, but like the rule is that like you know you can you can do the Zelda and you can do the Zelda. Okay, so here's you get home from school, and like you're pretty constrained. You can chill for a while. You can play a little bit of Zelda when you get home, just real quick. But like then homework needs to be done before like family eating and TV time. But you can listen to music when you're doing homework. Like that's that's permissible. Yeah, that that's their excuse. Like I'm not watching video because they they YouTube is the where they get their music from too for whatever reason. So they say oh, I'm not. I'm just listening to music. But like, but I feel like you can't. No. If you're reading a chapter of a social studies book, or even if you're just reading a math problem, you can't be listening to music. Come on, like that's, it's not that, that crosses the line for me. That's that's a little much. Yeah. <laughs>
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, Americans, country persons, make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next big idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog. Listen, whatever it is you want to put up, Squarespace is the place for you. It is an all-in-one platform. lets you do whatever you need to do. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got you covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. I've been with them for years. I use them for my personal sites, and I use them for the Roderick on the Line podcast that is hosted entirely with Squarespace, the audio files, the show notes, the images, it's all there. I can highly recommend Squarespace. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month, but you can start a trial right now with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, and that will show your support for reconcilable differences. Once again, you go to squarespace.com slash diffs, offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Hey, so um, you had a you had a little bit of an event, and I'm very excited to hear about it. Would you share it with our listeners? Yeah, so my my wife is uh, big into uh, musicals and stuff like that, and she has one of those I don't know what it is like a season pass or like a some kind of subscription thing where you pay some tremendous amount of money and you get to show to go to X number of shows a year. And she goes to them, usually not with me, usually she goes with one of her friends and they go see all these various musicals and sometimes she, you know, goes and visits uh, her mom and goes to see stuff with her. So she, she's into musicals and generally I'm I'm not into them, certainly not as into them as she is and, you know, I just, I just you know, just go with your friend, don't, you know. So she pays for her ticket or her friend pays for her own independent subscription and we go. But um, as part of that subscription, uh, occasionally I'd... I'd do things like whenever we go to whenever david sedaris is in town this is a different subscription but anyway whenever david mm-hmm. sedaris is in town i want to go see that that's not really a musical but it's, it's going out to see a live person do a thing uh, and this year they said oh we also have the opportunity to get hamilton tickets and i said you know what i'll go with you to that one right because it's the thing that everyone talks about and i'm purposely avoiding it just because i figure someday i might actually see it now is the time so we're gonna get hamilton tickets and we're gonna go see it of course she got two sets of hamilton tickets she's gonna go see it with my daughter who's super into hamilton because she's the age where you have to be apparently um but we went together first uh just the two of you so we, yep just the two of us just to clarify your hit your history is over the like whatever two years of this phenomenon going on you steer clear of it you've been on a default not not a full media blackout, but you've been on a default like filter out information. And if memory serves, I was very envious when you told me you'd gotten tickets to this. And I was, of course, trying to jam it down your throat and get you excited to listen to it before you go. And you're pretty adamant about saying you were now you were officially like blacked out. You were not going to listen to the songs. You were not going and, to. And it, and it wasn't me, full media blackout. It was disinterest, just plain old disinterest. Okay. Like in, the, in the same way that people don't do full media blackout for Star Wars because they have no interest in Star Wars. They know nothing about Star Wars, but not because they've making any concerted effort to avoid it, just because they have no interest in it and it never crosses their path or if it does, they don't look at it. So Hamilton, I know, you know, everyone's into it and they're playing the music and saying, you got to listen to it. I never went and listened to it. 
Like when people are like, oh, here's a video, here's a video of a live performance, a bootleg video of a live performance in New York. Take a what? look. Never, never watched it. <laughs> but you, so you did, was your feeling at that point, by the time the tickets came along, was your, uh, were you feeling mostly neutral or were you kind of rolling your eyes? Were you kind of sick of hearing about it? No, no, I was, you know, I, everyone seems to like it. So I figure if I'm going to go see one show, like actually, actually I've seen a couple. So I saw uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child in London because that was part of our London vacation. Mm-hmm. That was just because that's the thing we were all doing. The whole family wanted to do that. That's a, that's a two part show. So that's a, that's quite an ordeal. Um, and uh, I two went part to see is in, like, it's got, it's got like a intermission. Uh, no, it's two days. So you go for the first day. What? There's a show within, there's a full length show with intermission. Then you go home and then the next day you come and see the second, the part two of the show, which is a full length show with an intermission. That is an ordeal. <laughs> it, it is quite a production. It is the most, the most impressive stage show that I have seen. I guess I it's my pretty life, amazing. I yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't go to see musicals. So I don't know how impressive it is compared to people dying in Spider-Man in New York or whatever the hell. But, uh, but it's, it's very, it's very impressive, but you know, it's Harry Potter and all this stuff. Um, and I also went to see Book of Mormon with my wife and some friends. I would have just as soon skipped that, but it was more of a social thing with friends. So I had sort of a double date to see Book of Mormon, which I thought was meh. Um, and so now, so in, in the past, like three or four months or whatever, I, you know, or six months, at least I've seen three shows, which is way over my number that, you know, I've seen in my entire life up before then. So, uh, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. But no, I was excited to see it because I'm like, you know, this is. A thing that people seem to like, and it's very popular, which means probably means it's good. And if I have to pick one show to see, this is the one I should see. So that's why I wanted to, you know, I said, give and they were super expensive tickets. And <laughs> I just, you know, so like, couldn't bear the idea of like, oh, my daughter's getting the cheaper tickets. Right? <laughs> like, you had how, like good seats. Like, it's, you sent I mean, a photo you, of the I stage. Took a picture, I took like, a picture of the stage. Yeah. We had pretty good seats. Like you could see the spit flying over people's faces. Like we were, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> a lot of spit. Good. Yeah, they were they were a little bit off center, but otherwise pretty good. But yeah, even my wife was telling me, even in New York, even now, it is still really expensive to see Hamilton in New York. I think it is. doesn't really make any sense. It's been there forever. But you're over on kind of the side where Aaron Burr comes out. Is that where he comes out? I don't know. He's everywhere. He's in the middle of the stage. He's, he's jumping around. They got tables and benches. Everybody's jumping around. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I wonder how much the staging changes. Like, this is Boston where we're seeing it, so I, you know, I'm sure the staging changes a little bit. But they like uh, like the stage had the big rotating thing in the middle. Maybe some stages well, don't have that. I'm so interested because uh, I'm interested. Do I want to know what you think? Because if you hate it, I'll be sad. But but you know, um, having seen some of the bits of the staging and whatnot, it's it's it is. Um, I feel like it is a show. I'm going somewhere with this. It's a show where you can really just enjoy it because the songs are awfully good. But once you see visually what's going on, it's and every, all the reports I have are that in the in a capable theater, the sound is really is quite astonishing. Uh, and so I, I just wonder what it's like to go into a cold. You know, I I I did nothing but listen to the first act for six months before I even started on the second act. And like it's so that's so you can understand from my POV, it's so strange to like I lived that thing like daily for so long. And was so into it and cried so many times listening to it that like I, I'd, I'm interested to hear what it was like to just go in and like, well, you know, what was it like? So this is a question that came up when we were discussing Hamilton and, and me singing and everything. And, and you came up. Question was, have you seen Hamilton, the live no. performance of it? No, no, no not in so I, not I didn't know the answer. To that. I assumed you had. Of course, I'd known you'd been listening to the music forever. But I'm like, but surely at some point in there, he went to see it. So, no, you've never seen I, it. I, I've listened to the music a lot. And the part that I am comfortable copying to in code is that i am aware of the way it looks in live production 
But I've never seen it. Right, but you've never been there. I've never been. No, I have not been seen in the room, it. Right? You haven't been in that room. Oh, look at you. Look at you. It, it That's my boy. No, I, w- I would really love to. But I I don't know, man. I that for The original cast is like so embedded in my head. I know I would enjoy it no matter what, but that original cast and not even, not even the ham, not even the Lin-Manuel part so much, but like, you know, uh, the other three guys and the girls and like their, their parts. And see, see, I don't know. That's another reason I avoided it because right. as far as I'm concerned, the one and only, you know, uh, group of people I've ever seen perform Hamilton is this group. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not comparing them to like, Oh, that's not like the, you know, I, I know who Lin-Manuel Romander is, but I've never seen him do this performance. So I have nothing to compare it to. Right. So it's just, this is it. This is the one that I saw. Same thing with all this, just Harry Potter, book of Mormon. Like these are of all course. Nice. Yeah. Well, actually Harry Potter, I think was the original cast. Cause I don't think I think London is the original location. I think this was the original, but you know, but I like not having something to compare them to because then it would feel like you're seeing the wrong people. Yeah, exactly. Thing. No, to answer her, her question, I, uh, I haven't, I, I hope to see it someday. I really want to see, Dear Evan Hansen. That's kind of the one I really want to see at this point. I, what I want is a Hamilton movie. I, I've heard that there's something that's kind of, that they definitely, according to Lynn, they definitely have the footage for if they wanted to make a movie out of it. I guess they could. I don't exactly understand, but I want to see, I, I'm, I'll be really excited when there's a movie of it that we can watch over and over. But the thing I really want to see in the room, I think at this point is Dear Evan Hansen. But that's another topic. So do, do they not have a lot of, they must have, it's a big city. They must have. Yeah, you we know, just don't go places. It's hard to go. You know how it is? It's hard to go places. You and I are talking about I mean, this. You got to go somewhere at night after like six o'clock. Like who does that? I know. Well, that's why it's mostly my wife going with her friends and I'm home with the kids, right? Which is fine with me. Like it's the thing she wants to do, but it's, it's good for one, both one, of you. Yeah. Once a year we can yeah. get out together and see a thing. But there is, there's something I, I remember even, even when I was mostly rolling my eyes, like as a kid, like going to see symphony or in, uh, in high school, going to see La Boheme, um, you know, even as you're kind of laughing at how corny everything is, there is something very special about being in a room with live instruments and people performing and dancing and singing. There's, there is something unquestionably electric about it. Even, even when it's not the greatest thing you've ever heard, even when you're not familiar with it, even when you don't know what, it, what, what it's about or what it's supposed to be, just all of those people performing for you, just the sound and the feeling of that is, it's, it can be so, I remember this with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, just having it feel so visceral. You know, you just, you feel the music and it's, it's, it can be such a great experience. Yeah. That's why I would never bother watching like a, a filmed version of Hamilton. It's like, you're either going to be, it's live theater. You're going to watch, like, I'm not as in, into live theater enough to watch the, I watched the Les Mis movie because you were talking about it. Like, <laughs> mostly give that a thumbs down but, but like i don't i'm this you is know, a factory not a just, circus <laughs> yeah it, it makes such a difference to to be there and I, that's what i feel like if, like especially for someone who doesn't go to musicals a lot i can go to see almost anything and take something from the experience because i see so few of them so it's not old hat for me uh and you know anyway um so what i think of it like I didn't know the songs, right? So I feel like the experience I had is the same experience everybody had, like when it first showed up in New York and it wasn't popular and there was no word of mouth and no one knew about it. And it was just on a sign and someone said, oh, I guess we'll go through the show and they walk in, right? So I, I, I like that aspect of despite all the hype surrounding it, I wasn't subject to that hype because I had no particular expectations other than what I knew of Hamilton, the historic figure, and mm-hmm. that this was going to be a show about him. So there's you know, certain conclusions you can draw of how things are going to go, but all I knew, I knew, I knew or... he'd written some of the Federalists, and I knew that 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 there was a gunfight involving Aaron Burr, and that's all I had remembered about Alexander Hamilton. 
You didn't even know he was killed in the gunfight? I, I I never, I mean, I learned it in high school, but I knew there was a gunfight and somebody died and it involved Darren Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, but, that, but, you know, for the show, what is it going to be like? What time span is it going to be? How is it going to be structured? And I knew, you know, from just, you know, despite not hearing the songs, you more or less know, like, what style of song they are. There's a lot of rap style cadences and everything, and it's not, you know, a traditional musical. And so I felt like having I'm 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 not into hip hop or rap uh, mm-hmm. to any real degree. I never have been. Uh, and when I think of live theater, I think of the sort of theatrical the reason that word exists like melodic scores of you know les mis or you know basically any any sort of musical you expect to uh, like it's not in general it is not a hip hop inflected uh you know genre or a medium or whatever you might call it so you know i i appreciate the form and uh the wordplay and you know the the cleverness of it all and the, the ability to perform it but Part of me is also like, uh, uh-huh. I, I'm looking for that melodic hook that just doesn't exist for the most part uh, in in any of this music. And so that doesn't put it ex- uh, precisely in my wheelhouse, despite the fact that I enjoyed the songs and, of course, enjoyed the, you know, the, the, what the overall What about the part with the girls? What about uh, Hopeless and Satisfied? Yeah, no, that they're... It, it, it's in there. It's just, it's just, I'm not going to say buried underneath. Mm-hmm. It's just in a different form. Like just because like musicals in my, my very limited experience tend to lean heavily on some kind of, you know, melodic hook or whatever that threads throughout the show. That is the thing that you remember from the thing. Like certainly the Miz does even like Phantom of the Opera or any of these other things. Like I've heard a lot of soundtracks to musicals. So I'm more familiar with the soundtracks, but like that's, that's the thing. And there's, not as much of that in this just because it's not you know native to the form right it's not right. the the different things anyway so there's that second thing is the thing does span from more or less his childhood or adolescence up through his death that's a lot of years to go through and even though it's a show it starts when he's like it's like 19 i think it's like probably it's early, early 1770s to i think 1803 right and and it goes through all of it. And it can't, you can't, uh, you have to sort of do the survey course at that point. You don't have time to go into depth. You have to kind of like skip and jump around. Otherwise, you're not going to make it through all the years. And there's lots right. of things that happen. So, although it is a story, it's, it, you know, and, and Lamez does that too. Lamez makes huge time jumps as well. But I, it just, it felt like more of a, uh, like the whole thing, the whole show was like a montage, right? Of like, scene from this scene from this scene from this scene from this which i feel like you have to do if you're going to tell the whole story and i feel like that's part of the power of the show is telling the whole story and seeing the journey from you know where he came from to where he ends up but it also i felt like didn't give enough time to some of the things that uh like you know quiet uptown that whole thing great Mm -hmm. great song uh emotional uh moment in the show but practically speaking we had two scenes before that to establish the fact that he's a loving father and he loves his son right mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. all you have time for because you got it you got to go through all the stuff it's not as if the son was in the whole story and had been threaded through the whole thing even in lame is with the characters that we care about they spend more time on screen before we care about them dying right and it's fine in this instance because you can do that with shorthand like we understand fathers love children this is not a thing you need to sell me on and they did to their credit have two scenes instead of just one to point that out uh, and the music and and everything about that really sells that, but I felt like that for for me, I've, I would have liked a more in depth 
treatment of a narrower window. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I wouldn't have liked that because, because the thing is, I appreciate the survey thing. I, I really appreciate the, the whole, the, the sheer number of, of, you know, where he came from and all the things he did and, and the trail up to getting shot. Right. That there's a lot of stuff there and it's just the dizzying aspect of it all. And, you know, and instead of having melodic hooks that they returned to, they had, you know, spoken hooks that they returned to. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole, the whole, you know, wait for it and all that other stuff. Like it, there's it is, a, yeah, there's it, a lot of, of leitmotifs and, and repetition in yeah, like all kinds of It changes ways. meaning when it's repeated later, you mm-hmm. know, it's repeated in a sarcastic way by a different like, person. Like my my to, shot means you know. like at least three different things. Right. And, and yeah, so that, that was all good. Um, so that, I mean, I'm not even going to criticize Hamilton. Apparently everybody loves it. And it's amazing. It was just the th- things about it that were. I think it's kind of, no, I, I want to give you a pass on this because I think going into that, not familiar with it. I mean, because again, my whole thing was just listening hours and hours and hours of just listening to, and I had a real wackadoo way that I listened to it that was very un-John Syracuse, but worked for me, where I spent a huge amount of time just listening to the first three songs, the first five songs, the first, et cetera, and kind of moving out in concentric circles. But like, I I mean, I this is a very silly uh, way to compare this, but I almost think of it as somebody who's read, um, you know, Henry V several times, but then finally sees it performed as a play. Um, whereas like, you know, if you just go into that without knowing like the history or without knowing the characters and knowing, oh, this guy's from Henry the fourth, without knowing all that stuff, it's a lot to grok. And in this case, also you're, you're talking about stuff like, like think about, I mean, it's not just about Alexander Hamilton. Um, I mean, people like Lafayette and Jefferson and especially Washington, there's a lot of that kind of middle section that is, is kind of about Washington. There's, it's a lot of breadth to cover. So I don't, I don't blame you for feeling like it was, you know breezy at parts or or too too quick uh, not that it was too quick it's just that like a, this again with my with les mis being my which i also haven't seen but i you know memorized the soundtrack to being the the standard bearer for like getting deep into the pathos of of the characters and the drama of, of a small group of individuals and then this is necessarily has to pull back and it's like we're this is the creation of a nation these are huge figures and they have interrelationships, but there's just so much going on. There's a war, there are Kings, there's presidents, there's generals. There's like, just it's so much wider in scope. Well, it's like a little miniature, a, a very like picaresque uh, Sopranos in some way, because you know, the thing everybody says, the conventional wisdom used to be the thing about the Sopranos was it wasn't just about Tony. It was about Tony plus all these other people, plus the relationships between everybody on the show. And they don't hold back on that here. It doesn't go that deep, but you know, like yeah, who's you don't got have beef. five seasons of TV or whatever, but you've, but you know that there's the, just think about any one character and they're not, most of the major characters are not ciphers. They, there's some complexity to their relationships with other people. And frequently you're looking at like, what's like in the case of like the sisters, uh, there's all kinds of dyads and triads and things going on with the relationships between multiple people. And then on top of that, the, uh, the second layer is then in the second act, the way different people are playing different people. There's a lot, there's a lot going on to keep track of. Did you know about that when going into it? No, I, I, when I saw it, I'm like, are they just doing this for economy of actors? Cause <laughs> right. it makes sense from just like, well, why have a cast a different person for that? We've got this talented person. They don't appear as this character anymore. They appear as that character. Was the Hercules um, Mulligan guy, uh, like, like big like big guy tall guy in, in this uh, one i don't think so because in the original in the uh, original in george the, uh, washington was really big yeah george washington's really tall in, in the original as well but uh part of what's fun in um the new york the original production is that the guy who plays hercules mulligan is also the guy who plays uh is it monroe no uh madison madison and um 
and and as Hercules Mulligan, he's incredibly athletic and jumping around, and he's like he's like some kind of larger than life '90s rapper. And then as Madison, he's kind of sickly and kind of playing him sort of you know a little more hunched over and kind of small. There's like a contrast between all the parts they each play. You know, there's all kinds. I mean, it's almost you would almost say like what, what do the English say? Too clever by a half. But there's there's just I love this stuff. For me, this is this is the kind of like. I mean, getting beyond how good the music is and the production and everything, I love all the layers, the layers of signification and the references uh, and all that kind of stuff. And just listening to the first song, just the song that kicks it off. And at the end, when they say, we fought with him, we, I, you know, I, I loved him, I died for him. And like, it, uh, you probably caught this, or you can, if you go back and think about it, you'll catch this. But there's kind of a double meaning to each one of the people saying that. Like when the guys, the two guys, the guys who say, we fought with him, and in the first act, they fought with him mm-hmm. in the Revolutionary War, and they fought fought with him in the second mm-hmm. act. And I, there's all kinds of stuff like that. And setting aside all the references to various, like especially 80s and 90s rap, but there's there's so many layers. And if you ever want to go down this rabbit hole, there are so many like YouTube videos just explaining like all of the craziness and the little how stuff you didn't even realize these slight differences in the way the theme is played at these different times and. I don't know that that kind of stuff. Uh, I benefited from listening to that for months, and then discovering that, and reading the tome, and doing all that stuff. I just, I just want to give you props that, like, I think it's it must have. I would have felt a little overwhelmed. I think, or maybe I just wouldn't even have known how much I, to pay I attention. Bring my A game in terms of paying attention because they do speak and sing very quickly at various points, and you know, I was, <laughs> I, I was, paying, <laughs> I was absolutely paying full attention uh, to make sure I caught all the things i didn't oh, study you gotta hear my, gotta hear my daughter I, do uh get, uh gotta get my right hand man back off there yet oh it's just so mm-hmm. good it's, yeah, it's a, I, like i i knew you know again knowing some of the history i knew more or less where things are going so it, it gives me a leg up on that but i was definitely uh, conscious of the fact that if you're gonna if you're gonna derive benefit and, and appreciate this you're gonna have to really pay attention because this is the first time you don't have the lyrics memorized and half of the enjoyment of it is is about those lyrics also also i like the uh i mean this this is, gets back to the sort of survey course type thing. A little bit of a schoolhouse rock angle or fourth, fourth wall breaking because at various points, the actors basically speak to the audience to describe what they did in a historical context while yeah, they're, they're doing they're it all, They're almost like spoken, like intertitles in a silent thing. Like at the, is it, I think it's after Yorktown where they, they basically go into this like explaining what happened part. Mm-hmm. Or, or Eliza erasing herself from the narrative. Oh, right? oh my God. Yeah. Right, and then and oh, then you mean at the end when in. she says when she gets into the, all the stuff she did, yeah, like, the they, orphanage. Mm-hmm. And uh. like it, at various points, they essentially turn to the audience and say, and and that again, I feel like that keeps you at a remove as opposed to like pulling you right in, so you're in between these two star-crossed lovers that are on the stage or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. it is, it is a historical, you know, uh, you know, a, bree- a breeze through history with moments of uh of of pathos and and joy interspersed um so yeah i'm you know i I, if the movie if movie of this came out i would watch it um Mm -hmm. and i'm actually interested in seeing the the new york cast now just to compare now as for the cast having seen and again in the past six months or whatever three shows this cast was the best cast i have seen in any live theater thing ever in that everybody was good like in all the, the harry potter thing you can kind of pick out these three people were amazing. Yeah. Those two people were okay. And in Book of Mormon, everyone was fine. Maybe that person was the best person. In, in this performance of Hamilton in Boston, every single cast member 
was just knocking it out of the park. Like nobody was like, oh, maybe singing is not their strong suit or maybe they're overacting or underacting. Everybody I felt like did an absolutely amazing job. Now I have no one to compare them to. I don't know if they're, this George Washington is the way George Washington is supposed to be according to the script of Lin-Manuel. All I know is that everybody gave performances that were like, they were all good singers. When they needed to be funny, they were funny. When they needed to be emotional, they were emotional. They the, all the staging and everything. Like I was absolutely amazed, including the characters who played. Like to your point, who played two different people. Those oh, actors yeah. were able to transform themselves, and they did both great. Now I don't know how accurate it is to history because well, you know yeah. our our Thomas Jefferson was quite a clown, right? <laughs> was the real <laughs> right. Thomas Jefferson a clown, or is that just a thing they're doing? In like I don't even know. But uh, uh, like in terms of performers. All the performers were really good. My wife was distracted by Eliza's hair, but but I'm like, well, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton didn't have an afro either, but we have, this, is, this is kind of the point <laughs> of the thing. Uh, I think it's also amazing what the, the, the hard, the difficult, like exhausting work of, I guess you call it the chorus, the dancers and singers who are like moving the props around and spinning around and jumping around mm-hmm. and acting everything out. That's something, you know, of all the things that I couldn't get from just listening to it, that was one of the things. The two things that really blew me away from the televised version I've seen is that it's much funnier than I expected, uh, that they really are like interacting with the audience and it's very funny, but also just like the, how, uh, what do you say, dynamic? Like just how there's just constant motion going on. You don't, the turntable moving in two directions and like, we're going to turn this, you know, we're going to move around this table and that's going to turn into this and like, uh, it's. I think that's pretty masterful to watch. I, I assume the staging is similar. There's a lot of that going on. Yeah, like the, 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 the turntable thing is was was also there. But like, here's the problem with having seen the Harry Potter thing. While the staging in Hamilton was good, the staging in Harry Potter was like next level. It was like I don't know. If they have a tremendous, but it was like there was like put it this I've way. Heard that, they yeah. were like flamethrowers on screen uh, on stage at various points. Like it was, and they were they were you know those 3D projectors. You ever see those where they project onto a 3D surface? Yeah, 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 yeah. To make appearance like. The staging in Harry Potter was over the top, right? And so then you go to to Hamilton, which is great traditional staging, but nothing was ever on fire. Nothing was computer projected onto the screen. There were no lighting effects. It was essentially people on stage uh, moving things around with the turntable. Masterfully done, but mm-hmm. if, it's, if you're going to be dazzled by spectacle, merely having human beings walking around on a stage is like, oh, I guess that's theater. But the Harry Potter stuff was was amped up yeah that's kind of i see what you're saying that's i don't see you're spoiled by it but like you saw the most accomplished of the big budget thing that is conceivably possible right now yeah so i'm not going to be blown away and in in particular also on the harry potter they had the same problem but it's like like it's it is still a stage you need to get that crap on and off of it and you need to do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to the fact that people are picking up things and moving them right and they even did that masterfully because they had to move tons of really big crap on and off the stage a lot and somehow they were able to do it with very clever uses of lighting and misdirection and other stuff like that. And give me a capsule review of Harry Potter. Did you, uh, apart from being a two day ordeal, what did you think of it? Uh, so in our performance, there were clearly like two tiers of performers. One mm-hmm. tier was amazing, and the next tier was okay. <laughs> so Fine. That, yeah. hurt, that in terms of acting, because there's a lot of uh, Harry Potter, unlike Hamilton, like there are there are lots of spoken parts in it. It's not sung all the way through, whatever you call it. But, you know, because Hamilton is basically sung, quote unquote sung all the way through. Um, so the, the people in, in Harry Potter were tasked to actually act for various portions, and some of the acting was a little bit uh, not on target. The story was, you know, whatever Harry Potter story. I'm not super into Harry Potter, but but it was fine. Uh, but the reason to go to it would be some of the songs were pretty good. Uh, and, you know, the story keeps your attention and is interesting. Uh, but the staging 
and just the way the way they how many different settings they have and how they stage things they do some very clever things with staging where they're acknowledging the fact that it's a stage play and you have to use you have to follow along with your imagination you know like okay this little tiny corner of a set represents this it's shorthand for that but even that is was very well done so the the staging is the reason to go see that i would i would totally recommend seeing even though it's a two-day thing uh i i enjoyed both days but i think both the kids really enjoyed it i think it was really good hamilton is better you know, I'm not gonna not gonna right, say right. it was Hamilton. Like Ham- I recognize fully, you know, Hamilton is a better show in all aspects than the Harry Potter thing. It's a better script. All the performances were better. It's just just better, right? But I, the other one is still worth seeing. Um, and in dis- distant third, I feel like is Book of Mormon, which didn't really uh, do anything for me. Hmm. I'm glad you went. I um, I, I I'm not gonna try and turn you into a stand, and I'm not gonna give you lots of homework. But if it ever suits you, that's a very good. Um, great performances on PBS called Hamilton's America. I put it in show notes. I think it's a couple hours long, but it's, it's real good. And it's, it's even like tracking him, like while he's still writing uh, some of the songs before it's all staged, but it's great. Cause they talked to Chernow, the guy who wrote the book, all the cast is in it. And it has a, uh, you know, more than a little like historical stuff. They like go and visit, visit Hamilton's home and stuff. But if, if it ever does scratch your curiosity, does it, now let me ask you this. We should probably move to the next topic. Um, did, has it made you want to listen to the soundtrack now? Uh, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, there was, I didn't feel like there were a lot of melodic hooks. The, the two songs that I liked the most were Satisfied and the Quiet Uptown one, just because those are... Satisfied, I think, was the most close to being melodic. And the, whoever is the... What's their... Like, Abigail or whatever, Eliza's sister? Uh, Angelica, Eliza, uh, and Angelica. Peggy. Yeah, and Angelica, the actor who played Angelica, was phenomenal singer and phenomenal just in all aspects and that's that's gotta be important that's such a that that one song oh my god rewind rewind like that that's such a crucial role yeah that she she was amazing and that whole thing was amazing and then of course obviously the the, uh is that the name of the song quiet uptown uh the the one uh the after the death yeah 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 anyway that's obviously a big emotional beat in the story and it was performed very well and so those two resonate with me i'm like oh i'd like to hear them again um, like, uh, but I don't think I will seek out the music and listen to it as music in rotation. More likely, I will go seek out a video version of like the New York cast or whatever and watch. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, Is yeah. It? Cool. Well, good on you. I'm glad you went. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Recommended. Hamilton. It's pretty good. You should check it out. Hamilton, check it out. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Eero. You can learn more about Eero right now by visiting Eero.com slash diffs that's eero.com slash diffs with eero you can build a wi-fi system that is perfectly tailored to your home considering the high bandwidth world we live in now you need a distributed system in your home to make sure you get the best speeds available and with eero you can install an enterprise grade wi-fi system in your home in just a few minutes it starts with the second generation eero device it has three five gigahertz radios which allows for increased speed and range and it sits flat on any surface, connects either uh, over Ethernet or wirelessly. And you can easily expand the coverage throughout your whole home by adding in some Eero beacons. These little guys are so cool. These are small devices that plug right into the plugs on your wall, and they allow you to reach every corner of your home, bathing it in beautiful Wi-Fi. And Eero is now introducing Eero Plus. This is so cool. I've tried this out. This is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you'll have powerful parental controls right at your fingertips. 
It includes ad blocking functionality to help improve load times for websites that are full of privacy invading ad tracking. Gross. It's also possible to have Eero Plus check the sites you visit against a database of threats to prevent you from visiting anything malicious. Thank you, Eero Plus. Eero Plus even includes subscriptions to Encrypt.me for VPN protection, 1Password for password management, and Malwarebytes for antivirus solutions. How cool is that? Uh, I'm a big fan of Eero. I, we are an Eero family, and we got into this and never looked back. I've bought extra Eeros with my own money to extend the range down to my garage and to every corner. We have more of these than we need, but boy, does it make me happy. Fully covered, and the Eero app is just so great to use. You can go in and check your bandwidth, speed, uh, you can add you can add uh, little uh, little emojis to all of your devices like I did because I'm a weirdo. It's really cool. Really highly recommend Eero. And right now, as a listener of this show, you can get a hundred dollars off the Eero base unit and two beacons package, and a year of Eero Plus. You just go to eero.com/diffs and at checkout use the promo code diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Eero.com/diffs. Offer code diffs. Our thanks to Eero for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, what do you what do you like? I mean, keep the, let's keep the, keep this one a little bit bright and tight. Yeah, we're trying to get out of here a reasonable hour. At this point, it might be a good idea to talk a little bit about maniac. Oh, interest. Oh, really? Huh. Well, huh. I moved that down from the homework section. What does that signify? Oh, you sh- look at you. You gave it a bullet under mini topics. All right. Is it is it uh, is it a spoiler slot? I think not, we can I'm, talk about it without spoilers. Because I'm not part. done. I'm on like... Yeah, no, I won't spoil it for you. I'll just... I've, I've watched the whole thing. Okay. I'm on... Mm, is it... Tell me, tell me where you are. Well, um, I'm... Jim will cut it out. Just tell, tell us where... Okay, Jim, <laughs> marker. So, 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 Maniac. This is a, this is a thing on Netflix. Uh, it's... Uh, now, this is, uh, this is that guy. This is Kerry Fukunaga, right? You him? keep saying that guy, but where am I supposed to know him from? Uh... F U. The only name okay. I recognize in the credits is Carlton Cuse or whatever from like the the Lost guy, right? Yes, he worked on it as well. Uh, I could be wrong. No, Kerry Fukunaga. He's the guy who did um, <sighs> Times of Flat Circle, True Detective. Uh, True Detective, yeah, and other things. He did Beast huh. of No Nation. He did, and I think he's gonna. Is he gonna do James Bond? I don't know. I would. I would not have. If you had asked me what other thing that he did, I would not have picked your detective because this is a very different vibe for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that you recommended the show just because you thought it was a, a weird show. Not. Not that it's like leftovers. I called this one a, well a leftovers like outfielder of. You know, it's one of mine where I would say like I will not at all be surprised or miffed if you turn it off after a few minutes and go, "This is not for me," but. There are several things about this that I think could be appealing to lots of people. Not, I mean, you got to mention the the production design and decisions about what they put in the production design. Uh, the cast is good, but there's a lot. Of, but but it's a wackadoo story. It's it's in that I think you know from fairly on in the first episode. We'll try and stay spoiler free, but from fairly fairly on fairly early on in the first episode, you know there's going to be a like, oh, is this really happening? Is that really happening? One of those mind effy kind of th- shows, kind of. Yeah. So here was my experience watching it. You know, you told me, you know, it, it, not again. This not that the show is like the leftovers, but it's a recommendation like the leftovers, where there's a strong possibility that you could bounce off the show because it is not user friendly, so to speak. Um, so I watched the f- like the first half of the first episode. And 
I bailed on it mostly because I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep and this is not doing anything <laughs> for me. And then a couple of days passed and I'm like, I should, I should finish up that first episode. So I, you know, resume whatever the hell app I was watching it in. What is it? Is it on Hulu or something? No, Netflix. Um, and Netflix, an you know, yeah, it was totally an <laughs> iPad show. And then and Netflix, uh, uh, picks up where I left off, right? Somewhere in the middle of the first episode. And, I started watching for the middle of the first episode and I'm like, I, I don't have any recollection of where, like I've, I've lost the plot literally. Like I can't, I don't know. Like, had you gotten up to like the family being together in the, the dinner and stuff like that? Yeah. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't point is I couldn't remember what I had supposedly watched before that point Uh because it just didn't hold together into any kind of coherent anything. Really? So I started over. Okay. I went back to the beginning of episode one again. I'm like, at first I was like, I'm just going to refresh my memory. But then I realized, no, you have to start. Oh. So I went back to the beginning of episode one again and watched through the first half of episode one again and tried to piece it together into something and watched the rest of episode one. And it, obviously it caught my interest enough for me to keep watching. But that's a pretty big cliffhanger at uh, episode one. But they, but leave like, you, they leave you at a pretty interesting spot for. Yeah. So. After the first episode, my opinion was that this show is a mess. Like they don't know what they're, where they're going, or what they're doing, and not a mess in a good way. Like like uh, the leftovers, where there's like, but just like the it was, it was shot out of a shotgun, and no one had any idea of what the heck they were doing. I was like, is there a story here? What is the story? I don't even know where they're going, and it doesn't. It's not doing anything for me either. Oh, and then you get to the second one. All right, is, so the second episode. The second one it, is the different point of view. Is that number two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you, you see from right. uh, Emma Stone's point of view, and you get her backstory, and it's like, okay, well, there's a thread of something coherent there, but there's a lot of BS surrounding it that still doesn't fit and so then you watch the third episode and then eventually you, they introduce all the major characters and, and the settings in the show and then you're like all right but i was like there's a lot of crap in here that just doesn't fit and it's pretty clear to me at this point they're never gonna fit and, like and these are these are episodes that all are taking place contemporaneously whether they're, they're still on like they haven't even gotten to the pills yet I mean, I was saying, like, eventually, through, through, as the series goes along, you get all the major characters, and you get all the major settings, and they set up all the people and their relationship to each other and, and the things, but there's a lot of surrounding crap. I just kept thinking of, like, I don't know, I was trying to, I always think in terms of physical metaphors, and unfortunately, it's not a real-world object, but, like, but like, a, like a ball of yarn with all sorts of dangly things poking out of it, like, like tentacles coming out of a beholder or something, and I was like, just shave that crap off, man. Like, mm-hmm. just... You you got the ball in the middle, but there's something there. But you got a lot of crap. Yeah, but, but like um, this is real lazy. But um, a phrase people use a lot when talking about something like this is uh, dream logic. And I think the one part of dream logic that even if you're watching Gilligan's Island, you can understand is like you see the wavy lines, and then like you know things are things are strange. But uh, but the other part of dream logic is though that there are connections that don't seem logical or there are things happening that are sort of magically real. And I think that's one aspect. Like if you, sometimes if you're in a very deep dream, you might have that same feeling of like shave the beholder. Like, what is the point of this? What is this in service of? What is this dream about? Just tell me, is this supposed to be about my it, mom it, or something? See, but I'm, I'm taking it from the perspective of a television show. Like I get that. I get the, the, the magical realism. I get the popcorn problems. Like I'm there with you. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but I, I feel like, <laughs> 
it, when you're making a television show, which I'm very aware that I'm watching, uh, you know, because like I'm not, it has, this has not pulled me in. It's not that, that like I'm I'm aware that I'm watching a, a show. It's not is you know, like that that stuff. What what you put on screen, that type of stuff, has mm-hmm. to be resonant in some way, right? It's not because yeah, that's why you don't want to hear about other people's dreams because dreams are just brain garbage, right? But when you're making a show with yeah. magical realism and dream logic, I need that to be. I, I need that to to not just be there for the hell of it. I need I need some of it to pay off. I need it to be resonant and connected with the themes and the emotions that you're trying to convey. And a lot of it was just like, you're right, that is wacky dream logic. And I get maybe some of it is eventually a character mode, but there's lots of extraneous stuff. The uh, the, the statue of extra justice, man. I mean, whatever. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there that was just. I'm not going to say it was fat because it was very often interesting. But anyway, and then eventually we but get maybe, into maybe where that you should are. have been edited before it got into the point of that. I, I don't production. I don't know. Like I'm, uh, we're gonna, I'll I'll tell you what I thought of the thing overall in, in a little bit. But like eventually we get to the point where you are, which is like okay, now we have a third wave, which is an in-universe alternate setting. Not to say too much, but like right. There's right. a, there's a, in this in this treatment that they're going through, there's a progression in like what happens, and we're now at a point where some very odd things are starting to happen. Yeah, and they get to basically do episodes, and lots of shows do this, like you know, dream like sequence leftovers. episodes, like or sort of, or, yeah, or alternate history episodes, or like when the X Files had an episode where they were in the Bermuda Triangle on a World War II sub, uh, playing variants of themselves in history. Right, you get to do that type of thing, and I understand that thing is fun. And I think they do a really good job with it, like. What the you're on you're on the lemurs episode. What, what was the one before that? Was that another one with the two was of it them? The gang, like the forties one with the, the uh, safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, those those are fun to make. Those are fun to watch. But I'm not entirely sure that they earned the the right to do that riffing based on how poorly they'd established everything else at that point. Anyway, that the story goes on and it comes through. And I, and when it, when it comes to an end, I felt like they clearly had. A, a somewhat resonant thread and story to tell those stops along the way in the middle were interesting and fun, but like, I don't, I'm not sure this show holds together as a whole. I, I've been I think, my concern as I went, I, I I've stayed with it absolutely because it's really easy watching. It goes by real fast. I, I, I mean, it's not, I mean, in the sense that like, it's, I, I don't find it surpassingly difficult because I, I'm not like scanning every every second of like what's going on. But like I, I was always happy to watch the next you, one. You will not be rewarded by scanning everything that's going on. Believe me, it is, it's not almost sharp closely. objects. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting. Well, I I, I just kind of. Um, I don't know. You know how I am where it's like some, it'll depend on how much energy I've got and like, do I want to dedicate myself? And if I do, sometimes I'll hop in and I'll end up watching way more than I expected. And I'm asking myself, Oh Jesus, do I really want to watch a third episode? The other night I watched the big short and it was like, I just really wanted to watch the big short and I watched it. I was like, God, I love this movie so much. I always, I forget how much I like it until I start watching it. And then suddenly it's 1130. And then other nights I'm just like, I don't even know if I have the emotional energy to like pay attention to something that's nominally a drama or, you know, you're just, you're just not in that mood. You just want some, some base videos. <laughs> you, want, you just but, want some iPad TV is what you want. You want iPad quality TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's an iPad show. <laughs> you're so awful. Um, do you think I should keep I, watching, though? I mean, just yeah, I should. No, I, uh, I, I going to say. It's, it's based on the stars that are in it. You can be pretty confident that this is it. Right, it's a limited run. There's not going to be Emma a multi-season magic. show. I think she's off. I mean, it's not like she has that much range, but what she has, she's so good at. She's. I just think she's. She's just so fun to watch. I love just watching her do her thing. Yeah, Jonah Hill is uh, like he is the weaker 
role. I think, I think, I think so too. I think, so. I, I mean, even he's fine. He's doing his Jonah Hill thing and that's, it's on and his range is limited, but like she kind of acts him off the. Well, not least because lot. even if he were really super duper great at that, she's got a lot more to do. He mostly sits there like trying not to drool or something. And it's well, like, but, at a point but the thing that is gets... like, com- compare him to Kendall. Like the, in some ways they have similar roles in the sad sack in a family of mean, rich people. Yes. But like Jonah Hill does not, elevate the performance he does fine i think he's fine in it uh and when he's asked to do the thing that he's good at he fills the role well but when he's asked to be the 40s magician it's not really his yeah. forte did you ever see the big short no um it's real good kendall's in it yeah that's it that's I, I keep getting that that's not a documentary about the financial crisis it's no it's, it's a not it's a dramatization very, it's a, of the financial crisis right uh, you know, I gotta say, like, if you, uh, if anybody wants, not you, but if one wants an interesting sort of like whistle stop catch up about what the hell happened in the 2000s with the finances, two things I can really recommend. I, I'm not a scholar of this, but two things that I have found useful and interesting is the episode of This American Life called The Big Pool of Money, which is, I think, sort of the yep. backdoor a, pilot a for classic. Planet Money. It's an mm-hmm. awfully, awfully good episode. I listened to it again this week. Um, and you can find it on my Huff Duffer because this American Life are monsters and take their shows down. Mm. But it's on my Huff Duffer if you go there. Um, that's awfully good. And Big Short also. Big Short, very related. It's basically following, and it's, I think it's Judd Apatow, right? And he's basically following these three or four related stories with people in the finance industry uh, through the escalation of the kinds of financial devices that were created, how they were marketed, how the frenzy worked. But if you enjoyed... Um, uh, the big pool of money. You might like this. It's really good. Christian Bale is really good in it. Christian Bale it's all kind fictionalized, of, right? The people in the movie are not real people. No, they're real people. They're all real people. No, you know what I mean. Like they're not playing people from real life, are they? They are, and then from time to time, they will. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking, and one that happens several times is there's one point where two guys turn and say, "We didn't actually find this sitting on a table here. It was a different. It's kind of like 24 hour party people, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, very well done. And there's one point where it starts getting in the weeds a little bit. And like, we know this is really hard to understand. So here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath explaining this economic <laughs> concept. And she's like naked in a bathtub with a, with a uh, flute of champagne, yeah, like so, explaining. So, that, so that's the kind of movie this is. Right? That's the, that's how it is in their movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was all just to say that like, uh, yeah, but it's funny because with Maniac, I very much like I, it, it, it kind of hooked me. And that, that's why, hence that recommendation. But yeah, I think I'll probably, I'll probably stick with it. There is an awful yeah, lot of worth, awfully it's good worth TV. Finishing up, because eventually you do get invested in in the little mini story. Like there's basically four main characters here. Two of them have a story that are sort of intertwined, and the other two have a story that's intertwined with the with the third one that comes in. And those stories need to play out. But like by the time they did, I was satisfied that I had seen those stories. But this just I just felt like it didn't it didn't all hang together in the end. Yeah, I mean I'm fine mostly just with like I say, production design isn't quite the right word for it. Although that's certainly part of it. But it's also just weird decisions like. Emma Stone's dad, like that whole thing, like what? Was, like what? Yeah, was keep going the, with that. Yeah. Oh, he comes back. Have you? You've met? Uh, who the heck is the actor? Uh, the 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 main scientist dude. Oh, it's uh, it's isn't the Irish guy? Oh, not that's not the scientist guy. Oh, uh, no, it's the guy from the Leftovers. It's Justin Justin Thoreau. Oh, that's how, like I was killing. I kept meaning to look it up on IMDb and say, "Who is that?" Yeah, because yeah, he's wearing yeah, a terrible wig for much yeah, of it. Yeah, that's our this... boy from uh, from the Leftovers. Wow, that and uh, that woman is the dancing lady from Ex Machina. Hmm. Yeah, I couldn't place her either. Again, very severe. She's like good. the glasses and, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. hair. 
Yeah. Who am I thinking of? The uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gabriel Byrne. That's his father, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good cast. And that one guy, that one guy with the funny name. Uh, who was that one guy? The guy who was in Game Night plays the brother. No, I like that. In Game Night. Who, is, who does he play in Maniac? Oh, the brother and the brother. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Matt. I really like that actor. No, well, I'm I not like going to recommend Adam. Game Night because I'm done recommending things to you. But Game Night no, is I, really, really fun. should be done recommending. Like I, I've heard you recommend recommend Game Night, but Game Night is is it's not uh, your thing. It's a comedy. It's, it's, comedy. it's, a, comedy. it's a comedy. That's that's why I've just been like, okay, well, whatever. I will find this man's name. I will find his name. Oh, Richard McAdams. You want to put it in your pocket? She's so cute. Michael C. Hall. Uh huh. Um, what is that guy's name? Yeah, I, I thought the the best moment. Uh, you know, having seen all of Maniac, I think the the best few moments in Maniac. Maybe it's just because of what came before them. Is in episode two, uh-huh. with an Emma Stone story plays out. I felt like that sequence was like movie quality. Oh yeah, and and had a good impact based on the nonsense that came before it. It's like no, this show is serious and can be serious. And so to make you think, you know, at that point I realized, okay, because I would have stopped. Honestly, if that scene was not in there, if that episode wasn't what it was, I would have stopped watching the show. But then once that's in there, I'm like, okay, there are stakes and you, you do have characters that you're going to make me care about. And I want to see how this comes through. Well, and also as soon as they, they do that thing of the, like, let's watch this again from another point of view, it it gives you a wrinkle like, Hmm, well then what's the rest of it going to be? Billy Magnuson is the man's name. He's born in 1985. He was born when I was a senior in college or high school rather. Which which actor were you looking? At? Oh, the, the, brother. the brother. Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah I like. There was also the girl from the Americans. Did you watch the Americans? Uh, some. Well, the uh, the sister Emma Stone's sister is from the Americans. Oh God, that story! Uh, I was saying, like, if the, if this show was get rid of all the extraneous baggage, baggage and just have it be uh, Emma Stone and Jonah Hill's story, and even like cut the two Doctor characters, that alone would have made a series, a great series of episodes, just shot differently, like more seriously. Yeah, but that's not what the show wanted to do. So, you know, it's it's fun. <laughs> There's definitely some fun bits to be had. There's something for everyone in it, but I just feel like the the whole thing uh, doesn't work overall. I like that you just uh, coined a new word accidentally, Bagic. You meant to say baggage, but you said Bagic, but it kind of works. The baggage and the magic, too much. Mumble, yeah, mum, the magic of mumbling, I call <laughs> no, it. No, no, too much. There's too much, like, baggage from the magic. There's too much, like, <laughs> too much tomfoolery, right? Yeah, like, I can, it's not that it's it's too silly. It's too incoherently silly. I mean, I liked I liked it better than like Legion has gone off the rails. So season has two of Legion, I just oh. didn't, I just didn't, I couldn't even finish season two. But I think Maniac is better overall than season one of Legion. Season one of Legion is surely more coherent, but this Maniac is is more interesting than season one of Legion. I think uh, just because it's so unconventional, but I just I just feel like it doesn't like season one of Legion holds together, right? Uh, this maniac is is just all over the map and if you enjoyed being over the map then more power to you but I, for me it didn't you know i I, der- I extracted the sweet juices of the goodness that is within it and enjoyed that aspect of it but uh i wish some other parts of it were just you know either worked better with the whole or weren't there i like a tv you can juice mm-hmm. 